The following is a sermon from Living Hope Bible Church in Port Rowan, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit livinghopebiblechurch.ca. Well, good morning, folks. We're doing that COVID thing right now, getting everything nice and clean. Now it's got to dry off from my notes so they don't get stuck. What a privilege it is to be here, you know, sitting here in the empty uh, uh, chapel, whatever you want to call this, and listening to this worship team was just beautiful. It's a wonderful privilege, and I thank you. And I do thank Pastor Mark and the elders for this opportunity to bring God's word this morning. I am honored Pastor Mark is sharing his pulpit with me. I am Tom, as Pastor Mark mentioned a moment ago. I'm happy to have helped Pastor Mark these past year, this past year a few times, and now I'm very privileged to start the new year with a message here in Living Hope. For a true Christian, a new year is a time for reflection and a refreshing of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We've come through a very rough year, and from all accounts told, the worst of it's not over. It's very sad. There's a vaccine on the horizon. It's a sense of hope. But my goodness, between now and then, our hearts break. Today, as I bring you God's word, I pray it will be a word from the Lord for you personally. It may offend you. It may bring some conviction or some other difficult response. But I'd like to invite you to move beyond the difficult response And hear maybe perhaps what God is seeking to say to you personally. As many of you know, I'm a retired pastor of having served the Lord for over 40 years. This has given me a reason to do some research for a retirement community. I found the following information for one that I really like. Now, for those of you who were up here and those of you who are joining us via YouTube, I know that you're nowhere near close to retiring. But I invite you to follow along in this introduction to the message with some interest because I can guarantee you someday you're going to retire. And this place that I'm going to talk about, our generation, and none of my generation is here except me, so I have to explain this. Our generation used to call places like this out of this world. Okay? Now let me just detail it a bit. There's no taxes. That's a good start. Because there's no need to develop and maintain the infrastructure. The quality of the infrastructure is the best materials without any flaws whatsoever. It is also a gated community with no police or courts to make decisions about crime since there's no crime of any sort. There's no racism or bigotry as every race, language, and color of skin are living there in perfect harmony. Now this part I really like. The water is so pure, you can drink it right from the rivers without any fear of disease or pollution. And there's no food banks because everyone has enough to eat. And then upon application, as I discovered, you're promised the housing is suited to you perfectly. When we retire, we still need something to do. I still like to do a few things now and again, you know, keep busy. Well, the jobs in this place that are offered are excellent, 
There's no need for unions. There's no need for collective agreements since the employer pays for all of our needs. This is sounding really good. Do you think so? Hmm. Let's continue a little bit more. This is even more astounding. There are no hospitals as the main street is lined with exquisite trees that have everything you need to care for your hurts and your healing. Superlative crops are produced and the fruit of the trees are perfect with no need for insecticide or fungicide. Now this one some of us may not care for because we enjoy doing this part of our life. But there's no clothing stores. Huh. Your clothes and shoes never wear out. There's no need for a seasonal change of attire. The clothes are bright and summer light all year long. They never get dirty because there's no dirt in this city. This might begin to sound a little unbelievable. It must cost a lot to live there. But if you are accepted into this city, you pay no fees. They've been all taken care of by a benefactor. Now catch this. The size of the city is about half the size of a, the habitable portion of Canada. This enormous gated city has 12 entryways to allow lots of traffic in and out without any concerns or restrictions on coming or going. The weather is perfect and the sun does not burn you because it does not exist. Now the most extraordinary aspect of this city is the streets. They are transparent gold. Ha. This is a place I'm going to retire. How about you? I'm sure you know by now what I'm describing. What city? This is the new Jerusalem as found in the book of Revelation. There is no sun. For the bright glory of God fills this place all the time. There is no dirt. It's spotlessly clean. There is no sin. <clears throat> There's no one living there practices any form of sin. Now, while, while all of these descriptors are wonderful to reflect upon, there's one element, element about this city that I find extremely appealing. The purity of this city, next to the unhindered Lord's presence, is the most attractive. This, to be honest with you, makes me hungry for heaven. The purity of heaven can never be overstated. No pandemic ever... No death ever. All of our tears of sorrow and grief and pain are wiped away. There's no restrictions for our health since there's nothing to die from. More can be said about this place. But listen to what Jesus has to say about how we live our life right here and now on this earth while we await for this place of perfection in heaven. Matthew 6 verse 9 and 10 simply says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He just tied us together. God expects us to live here on this earth in the same way we will live in heaven. We are to live according to his will, not ours. His will is to call Jesus our Lord and to obey him with a heart full of love for him. We have a choice, though, to make right now in this life in who we love and call Lord. Later in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 24, some 14 verses later, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. God is telling us there's two 
ways to live. One is you love money or you love Jesus. Two choices. And the choice you make will have lifelong eternal and eternal consequences. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 simply says, for the love of money, remember Jesus says you either love money or love God, and now Timothy is saying, or God's saying through Timothy, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Choosing to love money is an indication that you have walked away from Jesus in the gospel. You didn't love him in the first place because once you really love Jesus and know the transforming power of God's spirit and rebirth, you won't fall in love with money. You might be tempted now and again, but once you've known the power of God to change your life, money has its place. But that's all it is. It has its place. Loving and trusting money is your way of proclaiming yourself as your own Lord. But you recognizing your love of money, perhaps today, is God's spirit moving in you to get your attention, to repent to trusting and loving yourself and begin trusting and loving Jesus. The reason is very simple. If you do not have Jesus as your Lord, you have nothing. And you will not go to heaven as I just described. Well, what then is hell where my destiny will be? Hell can simply be described as the opposite of heaven. There is utter darkness. There's no light at all, for God does not dwell there. There is eternal weeping due to the sore of not being able to see anyone. It's like an eternal pandemic lockdown. But you can't see anyone, but you can hear them all the time, weeping like you are. Everyone is calling out for help and receives none. Is hell the place you want to retire forever? From this passage of 1 Timothy 6.10, say, which says, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Let's flip that around and look at the other side of the coin. The love of God is the root of all sorts of goodness. Okay? With this as background, we want to look at a text before us, James 5, verse to 12, verses 1 to 12. But it's important to note that James, in the first part of the book, is addressing the church. And both types of people are in this church and they'll be further delineated in chapter 5. But just to set us up, and Pastor Mark did a really good job on this before it we went into the Christmas series. James 4, verse 13 to 17. Let's just use this to understand how James 5 is constructed. James 4, verse 13 to 17. Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord, if the Lord wills, we will live, we will live, we will live, and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, it is a sin. The way I understand what James is saying here, God is saying through James, is the best way to grasp this. He's laying out two ways to generate a living. One is trusting Jesus as your Lord. The other is trusting yourself as Lord. Becoming wealthy is not the issue. Who is your Lord is the issue. And that choice will determine how you generate your living. And some people within that God-given choice may become wealthy. I've known more, more millionaires than I can remember. Powerful, godly men. 
Wealth was not their God. Jesus was. Material wealth is not the true Christian's goal. Catch this. Material wealth is not the true Christian's goal. Your rich personal relationship in Jesus Christ is your goal. Now, the text that follows in James 5, 1 to 12, describes the outcome of either choice. Remember, both are in the churches. James is addressing the church, but both are not Christian. This is an example of the weeds living among the wheat in the parable that Jesus uses in Matthew 13, 24 and following. You can look that up on your own. James 5, verse 1 to 6. Let us get started then. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. From this passage, we can go back to the first Timothy passage and say the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. That's exactly what this James is talking about here in the first six verses. What is the outcome of folks like this? Question asked is, can you be a Christian and love and trust money in this way? Is this person living in a heavenly way while living on this earth? What's really remarkable is the verse, the weeping in the first verse is exactly the same Greek word that Jesus uses in comparing those who are faithful or wicked as found in Matthew 24, verse 45 to 51. In that, he's talking about and says that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth by those who are their own Lord, who love and trust themselves rather than Jesus. They do evil because they are wicked. This weeping is a reference to eternal death and hell. That's why it's, it's full. Weep and howl. This weeping is a reference to death in hell, the opposite of heaven. God is talking to church members here, but they certainly are not Christians because Christians are not weeping and howling, awaiting hell. We don't go to hell, do we? Of course not. But people who have not known Jesus as Lord do, and they may well be in the church. They can be someone, if we were gathered together in the congregation, it may be someone you're sitting beside. Or it could be a denominational leader. Maybe Christian ed and Sunday school teachers. Or even pastors. It's about who is Lord. God is saying, none of us who call Jesus Lord should generate our living by cheating or lying or any other activity that is not honorable or Christ-centered and heaven-focused. Simple statement. Anything you do here now that cannot be done in heaven should not be done here on earth. If you don't think you can do what you're doing in heaven, then you're not doing the right thing. You better stop doing it here on the earth. If you're doing anything to generate your livelihood that God would not permit in heaven, then you must repent of your sin, call upon Jesus as your Lord, and begin living a new life as if you are in heaven. That's called being born again. And that's the practical outcome. Living a life as if you're in heaven. 
The person who has become wealthy by cheating or abusing is destined for hell and not heaven upon their death. That's the wording of this passage. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Nowhere does he call them brothers. We'll catch that in a minute. The reason they're destined for hell is they have no regard for heaven or the Lord in this life. This person, why would they want to go to heaven since they have no interest in living here and now as if in heaven? Because to this kind of person, Jesus is boring and not life-giving. I don't know how a person could be a Christian and not be thrilled at the name of Jesus. How can you not be, how can you be a Christian and not get up in the morning and just say, thank you, Lord, I'm alive. You're my God, you're my Savior, you're my Redeemer. What a thrilling thought it is to know that every morning and every night and all through the day and all through your sleep, Jesus is your Lord. He should thrill you. He should excite you. And if you're bored by Jesus, then you've got to ask the question, do you really love him? If you're married and if you're bored with your spouse, do you really love that spouse? But if you're married and you're thrilled at the appearance of your spouse coming home from work or you're coming in the door after work, whatever, and you see each other, bang! You're glad to see each other. You're thrilled with each other. That's the way it should be with Jesus because you love him. The person who is bored with Jesus and doesn't find him life-giving, they've not consulted him or trust him as Lord for how to conduct their life or to generate a living. I want to repeat, wealth is not the issue. The issue is who is your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord or are you your Lord? Do you trust Jesus or do you trust yourself? When Jesus is your Lord, you consult him on a daily basis. You do this to receive your daily guidance for life. If you're not consulting him and trusting him for life, then according to what God is saying here and other places, you're not going to heaven. He's not your Lord. Hell is your eternal destiny. Now, let's look at the other side, or the further down in James 5, verse 7 to 12, and catch a few key words in this passage addressing the genuine Christian. Be patient, therefore, brothers. He never said that in the first verses. Be patient, therefore, brothers, sisters. People are in the family of God. Until the coming of the Lord, you've got something to look forward to, something to hang on to. Heaven's coming to you. If you don't die and go there before then, he's going to come and get you. Okay? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And here's the example. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. You're either going to die or he's going to come. One way or another, the Lord is right there. He's right there. Get ready. Be patient. Establish your hearts. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. Again, he's talking to us as his family. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, 
brothers, children of God, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. You as a Christian, you should be so well known in your community and in the world as we as the church in the world. If we say yes, we mean yes. We say no, we mean no. Our word should be so pure and clean that it should be trusted without any question. That's living on earth as if we are in heaven. We, we can say from James 5, verse 7 to 12, the opposite of the other one. The love of God is the root of all sorts of goodness. God, the way I'm reading this, is outlining the way to financial health for everyone who names the name of Jesus as, they, as their life and trust him as their Lord. Persistent. I've pastored in farming congregations, you know, where 99% of the congregation were, were grain producers. And there's a couple of folks listening who know who I'm talking about. These people spend their whole life being patient. They work the land. They clean the land. They prepare the land. They fertilize the land. They kill the bugs and all the diseases. And they watch patiently until harvest month comes in. And these people are so thrilled. Their whole life is being excited because they're harvesting. And sitting in a guy's combine, these $300,000 machines that sits there and beautifully harvests the crop. And watch the look on their face. They have been patient. They've worked the land. And it's produced its fruit. We're to be doing persistent, diligent work, whatever it might be. And being patient to grow the financial position that we are accumulating honestly and honorably in the Lord. And to my seeing in this scripture, is the way of the Lord. No one owes you a living. Boy, when I learned that a lot of years ago, I smartened up. No one owes me a living. Not the government. Not your parents. Anybody who's a 17 or 18 still living on the parents' dole, get used to the surprise that's coming in a couple of years. Your parents don't owe you a living and not even God. God has given you a body and a brain to develop and use it to generate a living for yourself. We as true Christians are to develop our bodies and brains in a heavenly fashion. This is God's will for our living. Now, God will provide to be sure. And the provisions most often come in terms of health, intelligence, and opportunity. We live in a, a, a society that gives all three great places to ex, ex, explore and develop those. His provision, though, of these expects us to do our part. To not do our part, in some ways, is a form of thievery and sin. Because God has provided. And if we don't do our part, we're stealing from him and expecting him to do something. But when we... Do our part. We're trusting Jesus as our Lord to provide the brain and the body and the opportunity with a heaven-focused life for our livelihood. Yes, there's some folks who don't, aren't able to do some things. And we look after those who have need. And we'll see that in a moment. Now, there's certain limits to everyone, which means the living we do may not be as financially viable as others. But as long as it is honorable and spiritually health, healthy, to my way of thinking, it's of God. Now, there's some people 
who looked down upon others and saying that work is kind of demeaning, kind of not so good. You know, that kind, there's those kind of folks who do that. But there's some people, in my estimation, who do an excellent job and offer a most wonderful human service. Every week, they come by and they collect my garbage. That is a God-honoring job. Can you imagine if no one was doing that work, the stink and the disease that would become rampant? In times gone past, that's why there were certain pandemics, such as the bubonic plague, things like that. The reference to the last days in, both, in all of James 5, in both the earlier part and then 7 to 12, is telling us to prepare ourselves for those days. To prepare ourselves through our personal relationship with Christ to establish him as Lord of all of our life. In our life, in our hearts, in our relationships. And this is trusting him for your ability, for our ability to work and earn a living and be heaven focused in that work. When we live this way out of our hearts, we'll then flow honorable and holy occupations and generate a livelihood that honors the name of Jesus and it cares for people. But the other thing about this return of the Lord is to demonstrate to us it's a way of making sure we keep ourselves pure as pure streets of transparent gold. That's what we're going to walk on. But they'll never get dirty, so it's an incomprehensible concept. How can something like this, I wear a wedding band made of gold, but it's transparent so I could see through it? How pure it is. His coming again enables us and to stay focused on his return to keep us pure. It's practical. The purity of our hope of the return of Christ or our heading to him through death helps to keep us stay on track with heaven. 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3 simply says, Beloved, we are God's children now. When you've been born again, you're a child of God now. You don't have to wait to prove anything. You're now a child of God. And what we will be like has not yet appeared. The things about heaven and that, is, there's some mystery about that. We don't quite see it. We get a little taste of it, but we don't quite know. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Which means fully resurrected physically with a body without sin, without damage, without pain, without suffering. The post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, Thomas, I've got the same name, had to put his finger in his side and look at him and make sure this really was the Lord. And sure enough, when Jesus showed up, he said, yeah, put your hand in my side, make sure it's me, and then believe. So the body will still look something like this. But Jesus wasn't bleeding anymore. He wasn't suffering anymore. He wasn't dying anymore because he was raised from the dead in a pure body. And so what we're going to look like, mm, we kind of get an idea, but not for sure. But here's the best part. And everyone, verse 3 of 1 John 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Oh, what if that trumpet sounded right now? Are you ready? That's a reference to his coming again. Are you really ready? Are you really ready to, to, to die, perhaps? I know you young folks in, your, in high school years, yeah, you don't think about that much. But it happens. What about 
Older folks, my age and above. Yeah, it happens a little more often. Heaven is pure. As described in the New Jerusalem, so are we to be pure. And focusing upon Jesus, either his return or going to him through death, helps to keep us pure and prepares our life for heaven. And with that and him in focus, we establish, we establish, we make sure our heart is in the Lord. Now, some of you may be sensing you've not been honoring the Lord. Or you've not been truly trusting and obeying him and consulting with him for your life and livelihood. You know your life is not as pure as it ought to be. So here's a question. How do I change? How do I begin living as if I'm in heaven right now on this earth may also be on your mind. How do we live holy and honorably with the financial means God has given us is the question you need an answer to. Ephesians 4 verse 28. Here it is. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work, honest work, with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There are people who are in need. They don't quite think as clearly as they could. Their bodies might not be as strong as they could be. They're born with certain things about them that just prohibits them from being able to do as as productive as you and I are. So we take care of them. This is the idea. God has given you a body, a brain, an opportunity. Develop it as best as you can. Honor the Lord in the whole process. Make sure you're heaven focused. Develop a financial position that honors God. And out of that, help those who are unable to. Or those who have aged and they're beyond the capacity. This is what God is saying. Ephesians 4, 28, I'll say it again because it's cornerstone. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We don't work just to get rich, just to have fun, just to have pleasure. It's mindless. You can never have enough pleasure and be satisfied. It's mindless. You get addicted to it. We work and diligently things, yes, to take care of ourselves, but also to help those in need. That's being heaven-focused. That's being heaven-minded. That's being Christ-centered, because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He didn't come to become rich. He came to give you life, so you can make others rich by helping them out. This is loving God, so all sorts of goodness results. You may not be a thief in your own terms, but if you cheated or lied or abused others to get ahead... Then you're a thief in some fashion or another. Are you living a lie with certain impurity in your life? So what is your choice? What do you prize as the most important thing or person in your life? What what would happen to you if you lost everything overnight? Job is spoken of by James here. Job lost, we know the story, he lost all his wealth. And then he lost all his family. It was just him and his wife. How did Job respond? Well, Job 2, verse 9 to 10 says this. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Get it over with. But he, meaning Job, said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. What this is saying, and what James is referring to, Job just had to have God. He lost everything. 
But he knew, and we sing the song, I know my Redeemer lives. He knew God was a Redeemer. He was at the bottom of the pit. He's, he's sitting in a, in a garbage dump for, for the way it would have been in those days. He's got boils all over his skin. He takes what is referred to as a pot shirt or a broken piece of pottery, and he's scraping them out to try and clean them up. That's all he had. No medication, nothing. And his wife looks at him, this, this wretch, and says, just curse God and die and get it over with. And Job says, no, can't do that. I got to have God. No matter how terrible life is coming at me, no matter what Satan might throw at me, I've got to have God. And in today's terms, you got to have Jesus. This is a new year. And if you do not have Jesus, then you better get Jesus. Your sanity in this life, Job would have gone out of his mind if he didn't have the presence of God in some capacity walking beside him. Your sanity in this life, and especially with some of this tough stuff that's going on, trying to figure out how to keep ourselves mentally healthy with all these lockdowns and shutouts and things like that, you've got to have Jesus. And when you just get overwhelmed with the restrictions and the overwhelmed with the, uh, the enormous deaths that's going on around us, you can just get down on your face before the Lord and pour it out. Your tears, your heartache, your pain. And I can tell you for sure, he'll come to your heart. You'll feel a peace inside of you that is beyond understanding because you've got to have Jesus to keep your sanity. And maybe this is a time of, of rebooting us this time out, so to speak, to reboot our relationship with Jesus Christ. Shut it down, reset it, make it real. Good New Year's approach. Your sanity in this life and your eternal life depends upon your choice right now. Do you talk and listen to Jesus every day to get your directions for the day and to ask him to guide you into being an honest businessman or an honest employee? If you do not... Are you a Christian? Hmm. If you talk with Jesus every day for his direction, and Jesus is your Lord, and he is your very life, then you can be assured from God's word, you are a Christian, and you are headed for heaven. The new Jerusalem is your place of eternal rest and retirement. The people around us need to love and trust the Lord Jesus. They need us to show them how, though. They need us. So many good things can come out of us when we're this way to bless those who are suffering in this pandemic. Tell them about where you're going, where you're going to retire, and how you're going to get there. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful word you've given us today. A word filled with truth, hope, honesty. A word, Lord, that can transform our life from the inside out. And the things of heaven that are described and the beauty of the purity and the extraordinary gifts that are there is just a taste. Lord, help us to live as if we are in heaven now. And the only way we can do that is if we are truly born again and truly have Christ as our Lord. And now as we sing, Lord, in closing, we do so 
If we've been convicted and we need to follow you and make a fresh choice for Christ, if we're at home, on YouTube, wherever it may be, then now is the time. May the worship team bless us as they bless you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.